Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. mercy and peace in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are continuing with our sermon series this Lent on the topic of the Lord's Supper, and we've covered quite a bit of ground so far from the catechism. Uh, First time that we met, we talked about what the Lord's Supper is. Uh, We learned that the Lord's Supper is both a remembering of the death of Jesus and a receiving of of the death of Jesus. Uh, Then we talked about uh, the week after about the benefits of the Lord's Supper. We talked about how the the benefits we receive in the Lord's Supper are things like forgiveness of sins, life and salvation and unity in our faith and also strength for our Christian journey. And then last week we took a look at the power of the sacrament. Uh, We talked about how the Word of God is what gives this meal its power, not anything that the pastors do, not anything that we do, but only the Word of God gives the power to this meal. And we talked about how the real power and benefit of this meal is received only through faith, only through faith in Christ. And so tonight we're going to talk about the fourth part of the catechism where Luther asks the question, who receives this sacrament worthily? Now, before we begin, I want to talk about that word worthy, um, because I think we could misunderstand this word. So, what does it mean to take the sacrament in a worthy manner? So, when we use that word worthy, we're not talking about our worth. So, we're not talking about whether a person has worth or, or doesn't have worth. That's not what we're talking about. Um, Because we know that we have worth, because the Son of God came, took on flesh, suffered and died for us for the sake of our salvation. And so our worth is forever sealed, right? We were worth it. You were worth it to God. When we use that word worth or worthy, we're talking really about appropriate. So what does it mean to take the Lord's Supper in an appropriate manner or in a manner that's not appropriate? That's what we mean by worthy. So we're clear on that. Uh, Because if the Lord's Supper is this holy, sacred meal, uh, if it's a very special thing, if it's the very presence of Jesus given to us, then we really want to think about the way we're taking it. Are we taking it in a way that's appropriate or in a way that's inappropriate? So let's go ahead and continue with our catechism question. Uh, So who receives this sacrament worthily? Uh, So tonight, as we go deeper into this part of the catechism, we're going to really talk about two truths that we hold in tension. Uh, The first truth that we hold in tension is this, is that we shouldn't avoid the sacrament. 
that, that coming to the Lord's Supper is something that we should do on the regular. We should hunger and thirst for it and come to it regularly. But we also want to remember this other truth that we hold in tension, and it's this. But not everyone should come to the sacrament. We certainly want all to come to it, uh, but not everyone should come to it. That would not be appropriate. And so we're going to talk about what that means. I think that we're probably pretty familiar with the first part, that we should all come to the sacrament, that we should de desire the Lord's Supper and receive it on the regular, but we may not uh, have as much clarity about that whole question of, of maybe who shouldn't come to the, the Lord's Supper, or maybe not yet. So we'll talk about that uh, a little bit more tonight. So let's start with that first truth, that we shouldn't avoid the sacrament. Now, this might seem obvious to you and me, but it wasn't obvious during the time when Martin Luther wrote the small catechism, 1528, 1529 or so. Uh, at that time, uh, communion attendance at church was at an all-time low. Historical studies have shown this, that not a lot of people were coming to communion. A lot of people were going to church, but they weren't coming to communion. So uh, the Lord's Supper would be celebrated every Sunday, and then it would be even celebrated every day, sometimes even multiple times a day uh, in the cathedrals and the churches of the day. Uh, the priests would always receive the Lord's Supper. They would always take it. But the people in the pews would not come up often. And so there was actually a rule that was made uh, a little bit before the time of Luther in the Roman church. They said that every Christian must come to the Lord's Supper at least one time a year on Easter. And if you don't, you're excommunicated. And really, that was kind of to address this problem that not a lot of people were coming to the Lord's Supper at this time. Now, there were some reasons for this. I think Really, there are two reasons. One reason was just plain old apathy. I mean, it, apathy is something that human beings struggle with both then and now. I mean, human beings aren't any different. I think that uh, much like today, many people said, I don't really see why I need this. This isn't really important to me. I don't really need to come to the Lord's Supper. And a lot of that might be because people weren't properly instructed. They were not taught about the benefit of this meal. And so, sadly, the church kind of made it into an obligation. They said, you got to do this if you're a Christian, and, uh, because people were apathetic about it. But I think a deeper reason is that people were deeply fearful. Uh, some of the scenes that were painted behind the altars at this time did not have Jesus as a loving Savior, you know, like the Good Shepherd, but Jesus as a righteous judge. And so people feared the wrath of God. And people thought, like, I can't go up and take the Lord's Supper because I'm not worthy. And so people would torture themselves. They would fast endlessly to just prepare themselves to come to the Lord's Supper. And they wouldn't do it often because they were fearful that if I don't take it in the right way, I'll be judged. But in the Reformation... Luther was reminding the church that in the sacrament, Jesus is calling weak and weary sinners to himself to find refreshment. None of us are worthy to take the sacrament, but we find our worth in Christ and we come to him. So the Reformation focused on the Lord's Supper as a gospel gift and not as a human work that we do to earn God's favor. So 
As we go to the scriptures, we see the heart of, of Jesus' words here. Look what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come to me. Don't stay away from me. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The sacrament has been given for our rest, right, for our healing. Or Jesus says in John six thirty seven, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Once again, this Lord's Supper is given for our refreshment, our healing. And so in the large catechism, um, there's actually a large catechism. We have a small one and a large one. It's a great read if you ever want to read it. Um, so Luther says this in the large catechism. He's really addressing this, this problem of people being fearful of the supper. And he says this. He says, if you choose to fix your eye on how good and pure you are, you will never go to the Lord's Supper. And he says, we must never regard the sacrament as a harmful thing from which we should flee, but as a pure, wholesome, soothing medicine. He goes on to say, but those who feel their weakness, who are anxious to be rid of it and desire help, should regard and use the sacrament as a precious antidote to the poison in their systems. So this is Luther just being a good pastor. He's saying to people, come, you need this. If you know that you're a broken sinner, if you know that you struggle, if you know that you're weak, come, this is for you. So in summary, who should come to the Lord's Supper? Well, those who repent, who turn away from their sins, who have said, all right, God, I'm not in control of my life, you are, um, who, who uh, trust in Christ alone for forgiveness and life, not their good works, they're looking at Christ alone, and those who intend to strive against sin and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not talking about perfect people here, right? We're talking about people who know that they need help, and they're striving in God's power, even if it be weak, against the power of sin. And they know that the Lord's Supper is one of those means by which God offers them forgiveness, healing, and strength. So the Lord's Supper is an open invitation to all. We desire all to come, and yet now we hold that second truth intention that not everyone should come to the sacrament. The invitation is open to all, but for some, the invitation is yes, but not yet. Yes, but not yet. Let's dig into the scriptures here. So from our reading today in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy or an inappropriate manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Very strong argument here, by the way, for the real presence of Christ. Because Paul's not saying that if we partake of this in the wrong way, we're just sinning against or being guilty concerning uh, the representation of, of the body and blood of Christ or the symbol. He's saying, no, we would be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So he talks about this unworthy or inappropriate manner. Well, so for the, the, the Corinthian church, this meant something very specific. If you read the letter uh, of Paul to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church was really struggling with a lot of difficulties. Um, they were really kind of struggling to, to live out what God had done for them in Christ. 
And so in the Corinthian church, when it came to the Lord's Supper, they, uh, there were like a lot of divisions in the church and people were infighting and some people were saying, no, we're the real Christians and we're better than you. We're more spiritual than you. The, the rich were really kind of looking down on and despising and excluding the poor. And so how this kind of worked out on the ground level is that when people met for the Lord's Supper, which often took place within the context of a meal together, they would say, okay, well, all the, the poorer people, the less influential people can go in this other side room. And then the really powerful, important people in the church will have the best seat. Paul says, you're missing the point, guys. You're missing the point. We're one body. We're together, rich and poor, male, female. We all come together around this gift. And to top things off, uh, people were getting drunk too. Um, people were coming to the Lord's Supper and they were having just a little too much wine, right? And they were really abusing the Lord's Supper and using this in an inappropriate way. Um, I've never seen that happen in any church I've been part of. Um, thanks be to God for that. But um, certainly Paul is addressing how they are taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Uh, and so this is what Paul says that they should do. He says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So very stern warning here. He's saying, wake up, guys. Uh, let's know what we're taking here. And if we know what we're taking, then we'll take it appropriately. So uh, there's uh, two possible interpretations uh, for this phrase, discerning the body. I want to just talk about that for a minute. What does it mean to discern the body? Very important that we know what this means because there's such a, a, a warning here. Um, on the one hand, Paul might mean by discerning the body that we're, we need to recognize that we are the body of Christ. So when we come together the body of Christ, when we take the Lord's Supper together, it means that we know what we're receiving and why we're receiving it. Now, this would be the opposite of the very common practice in many churches uh, which would be called open communion. And open communion is just, y'all come up. Um, and, and that's really not a scriptural teaching, and it's actually different than what the church has typically taught in the past. And I think a lot of that kind of just reflects our kind of, um, our culture, right? We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Um, you know, we don't, um, we kind of want things to be kind of quick and easy, you know. We don't want to take the time to learn. We just want to kind of quick come up. And so, um, and a lot of this reflects even in the 1990s, there was uh, a very popular movement in the church was the church growth movement. And so the church growth movement, it was kind of attractional. It was saying, let's, let's kind of make church really exciting and fun and get everybody to come. And then we're going to kind of water things down a little bit. And we're not going to focus so much on doctrine and teaching and scripture. We're just going to kind of focus on what's, what people want to hear. And, you know, the church grew, but what were people coming for? Right, um, And so certainly with communion, that church growth movement kind of impacted the way that we practice the Lord's Supper in the church. So um, I want to go through now and I want to talk, the catechism lists, you know, five kind of reasons why somebody should not come to the sacrament. And I want to just give you a couple notes here before I go through these. Uh, first is all of these are communicated in love. The reason why uh, these things are taught is out of love, because it would be really unloving to say, y'all come up, but we don't know what it is, and this could potentially harm us 
if we don't know what it is or why we should receive it. So not only are all these things spoken in love, these, none of these things that I'm speaking about are going to be set in stone. And what I mean by that is we don't need to remain in, in, in these, these places. Uh, so, for example, number one, who should not come to the sacrament? Those who are not Christian or who are not baptized. And, and so uh, the reason for this is that this is a covenant meal, right? Uh, we are to be a part of the family of God, the covenant family of God, through baptism and faith in Jesus if we're going to take this meal together. Um, it really wouldn't make sense for people to participate in this meal if they don't know Jesus, if they're not part of his family. But of course, this is not set in stone, right? Somebody could be baptized and they could come to know Jesus and then be welcomed to the table, which is our desire for everyone. The second would be those Christians who are unable to examine themselves, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, such as infants and very young children, uh, people who have not received proper instruction in the Christian faith or the unconscious. Uh, as Paul says, we are to examine ourselves and we are to discern the body, and we can't do this if we're not conscious or if we're too young to really learn what this means. But once again, this is not set in stone, right? Uh, we have our kids come up with us to communion to get a blessing, right? So they can see what's going on and they can learn what it is and they can desire it. We have our kids go through confirmation. We teach them the, uh, the catechism and the scriptures as they're growing up so that they wouldn't remain unable to examine themselves, but they'd learn how. That's really uh, our goal as we, as we teach our kids so that they would desire it and be able to examine themselves. The third one, I would say, is probably the least understood and maybe the most controversial or maybe causes the most kind of friction or tension. And so, you know, if any of you kind of get stuck on this point, please just talk to me. Like, I, I really love to talk about these things. You know, there was a point where I really didn't understand this and, and it didn't make sense to me. Um, but um, I just really invite you to come and talk with me. I'd love to chat with you about it. Um, so number three is those Christians of a different confession of faith sense the Lord's Supper is a testimony to our unity in faith and doctrine. And um, so a couple things to note here, that by asking people to only come to the supper if they are part of our church body is not saying that those people are not Christians. So I have some great friendships with other pastors of different denominations in this city who are a great encouragement to me. We get together and pray together and study the Bible and have coffee and chat, and we count each other as brothers in Christ. But, but we're honest with each other that we have a different view of what this Lord's Supper is. We all agree that we should take it, that Jesus commanded it, uh, but we're not in agreement about what it exactly is. And so just a couple examples here. So let's say that I went to a Roman Catholic Mass, which I do from time to time, because many of my family members are Roman Catholic. On my mom's side of the family is a really big family, lots of family members, and so chances are I'm going to have some funerals and some weddings that I go to in a Roman Catholic church. Now, uh, if you've ever been to a, a funeral or a, a wedding in a Catholic church, they take communion. Every time Roman Catholics get together, they're going to take the Lord's Supper. And so, um, having been in this situation, um, there are some things I'm going to participate in. I'm going to say the creed. 
I'm going to listen to the sermon. I'm going to listen to the scriptures read. Uh, I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer. And I'm always the token Protestant who says, for thine is the kingdom, and ever, nobody else does. <laughs> it's kind of like, I'm here. You heard me. Uh, but uh, anybody else done that? You've had that happen before. And, uh, um, and, but there's some things I'm not going to participate in. I'm not going to say the Hail Mary because I don't believe it's scriptural. I'm not going to do that. Um, and I'm not going to go up and, and take communion. And here's the reason why. Number one, um, that would be offensive to the priest because if the priest is truly Roman Catholic and teaching what the church teaches, I'm not supposed to do that because I'm not part of their communion. I'm not part of their church body. And another reason would be because if I go up and I take the Lord's Supper at a Roman Catholic altar, I am publicly confessing that I believe the Pope is the head of the church and I believe in things like purgatory and praying to saints, and I don't. So it would really be me not telling the truth. It would be me saying that I'm in agreement with something that I'm not. And so uh, rather than, than not tell the truth, I stay in my seat and I, I pray for all those there, uh, but I don't go up and take the sacrament. Oh, for, for example, if I went to a Baptist or a non-denominational church, you know, this has happened on vacation before where we go on vacation and there's not a Lutheran church. And so we go to the Baptist church across the street and, and you know, I'm going to listen to the sermon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray the prayers. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to sing the songs. But if they do have the Lord's Supper, I'm, I'm not going to go up. Not because I don't believe they're Christian. No, of course not. No, it's because... If that church teaches that this isn't the true body and blood of Christ, then it wouldn't make sense for me to go up and take it because it means we don't agree on what it is. Uh, so that would be me not telling the truth, and, and it would be unfair to them and to me. And so um, I'll just take it the next time I'm back home. Now, once again, none of this is set in stone. You know, if we have uh, those who are not part of our confession, but they, they want to commune, well, then we want to teach, right? We want to take people through a, a time of instruction and teach them. That's what we're doing in confirmation, right? And if, if our confirmands go through a time of careful teaching before they take the supper, shouldn't our adults? I mean, that makes sense, right? Uh, the next, number four, would be uh, those who are openly ungodly and unrepentant, living contrary to God's word. Now, um, we're all sinful, we're all broken, we all need grace, but there is a difference between those who admit that they have a problem and are seeking treatment, and those who say, I don't have a problem, and I don't agree with God's word, and I'm just going to keep doing it, because I'm right and God's wrong. Um, those are two different things. Uh, it says in the scriptures that Jesus Christ came to take away our sins, not just to forgive them, but to release us from the power of sin. And so if we choose to just keep walking in that path, even when others around us are saying, no, no, don't, please don't, then, then we're really misunderstanding the purpose of the sacrament because the, the sacrament is for those who know they have a problem and know they need help. And then finally, number five, those who are unforgiving, refusing to be reconciled to their neighbors. And this happens in churches, doesn't it? where there will be divisions, where people have strife and they have anger and they don't reconcile those things. And, you know, Jesus says that uh, if, you, if, you, if your brother has something against you, leave your gift on the altar. First, go be reconciled, right? It's because this is a, a, a reconciliation meal, right? It's all about reconciliation between God and us and us and other brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and so if we refuse to forgive, if we refuse to, to let go of that grudge, then we're really missing the whole point of the meal, right? 
because this is a reconciliation meal. Now, if you got bitterness and grudges that you're struggling with, of course, this is the place to find the help for that, right? But we don't want to hold on to those things and bring it to the altar because, nope, Jesus says, you can't hold on to that grudge and hold it tight and also put your hands open and receive the body and blood of Christ because Jesus, his body was broken and his blood was shed to release us from that. Now, once again, this is not set in stone, right? Because those who refuse to forgive can have their hard heart softened and they can forgive and then come to the table rightly. Well, we've talked about the no's, but I don't want you to miss the yes, right? May those who are weak or struggling in the faith come to the sacrament capital letter yes, exclamation point. The words for you show us that Christ instituted the sacrament for weak and struggling sinners like us to draw us to himself and to strengthen our faith in him. And and so people of God, uh, we desire this meal because we know that we need it, uh, because we're broken people who don't have it all figured out and we need grace and that's why we come to this meal. In closing, I just want to kind of leave the conversation open to you. You know, if any of you haven't gone through a time of teaching in our church about what we believe about the Lord's Supper, I would just love to meet with you. I'd love to talk with you. Um, I've written a little book. It's a short read that just goes through the basics of the faith and teaches you what all this stuff means. I would just love to give that to you and and go through that with you. Uh, Pastor Tim is starting an essentials class, uh, which is just a review of the basics. It's going to be meeting on Wednesday nights. Uh, right after Easter, uh, first Wednesday after Easter, and it will run for six weeks, and we would just love to get you in touch with that, that class um, uh, because that's the goal, right, is that we would learn what this is and why we should receive it. And so as we close tonight, let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. O oh Lord our God, in holy baptism, You have called us to be Christians and granted us the forgiveness of sins. Make us ready to receive the most holy body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of all our sins and grant us grateful hearts for all your goodness to us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.